Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. With the team here. Wow, wow, wow. This is crazy to, uh, to be back here. Good morning and good morning to everyone online. Where's the camera? Where's the online congregation? Hey, it's probably most of my family. Amy, hi, babe. Um, it's, I'm here with Sophie. It's all working out. Uh, ever feel like your life is like a big circle, like a big 15-year circle? I feel like... Uh, I feel like Brad Pitt in Legends of the Fall, you know, he leaves Montana and then he hunts everything, then he comes back and to Montana. I almost never feel like Brad Pitt, but <laughs> it might be the first time, actually. I hope, they, uh, I hope he agrees to play me in my life story. <laughs> if Will Smith won't do it, because that's my, that's my first pick. Hey, before I start, I just got to say, is that, is that Pastor Denzel Fenn? Sitting right there, and did I see your lovely wife Flora was around? So um, uh, I just got to mention. So you know, I'm, I've been out of work for like three months. We're displaced. We're here in Calgary. I was in a job interview two weeks ago, and the interviewer dropped your name, Pastor Fen. You know how like some people can sign, figure out maybe you're a Christian in a job interview, but you can't really like say that. And they're like, hey, you know, like, do you know Pastor Denzel Fen? Yes, I do. And uh, did you ever go to the downtown Full Gospel Church? Yes, I did. Wasn't the parking terrible? It was so bad. Yeah, that's like. Anyway, I I honor you, sir. It's good to see you again and your wife. Talk to uh, Pastor Fennif. He's like the gift that keeps on giving 15 years later. So here's the thing. I'm Trev, and like Lauren said, uh, my wife Amy and I showed up at this church in like its second month of operation, uh, for what, like 25 years ago, as newlyweds, no kids. I think I have a picture of us in the early days. Lauren and Kel, do we have, can the, look at this. Now, so skinny back then, like I don't know how we were, zoom, do that, get the zoom in picture. Uh, methamphetamine was a real problem in the early days of the church, and so um, we're really having lots of espressos. I don't know what about our lifestyles making our necks so fat now. I don't know uh, what's happening in there, but these were the glory days. So here's the thing, even I, we actually did the whole journey here at this church from new visitor to pastoral staff. Not quick, like over 10 years, 12 years, right? Um, so if this is like your first visit to C3 Church, or if you're on pastoral staff here, I can probably relate to your situation because we did, we did the whole thing. I can actually remember our first visit uh, at the Patterson Community uh, Center. We went in there uh, with the sandwich board sign. There's like only a dozen people. Five of them were Tebbets. And the worship leader, you know, Virgil Lynn and Lynn and their, and their three kids. And so it's like, I remember, I remember this, going to get a coffee and there's only a dozen people. And so, and, and Virgil Edlin coming up to me and going, uh, so are you new here? <laughs> yeah, if those are your kids, like I'm, you know, 
we're the only ones not in one of those families. And so um, uh, it was so fun. We did the whole uh, ministry leader. You never know, like walking into a church, like cold, uh, you know, where your next best friend's going to come from. Right? Don't get me choked up at the beginning. We're going to get choked up at the end. Let's calm down. We did the whole ministry journal. Like you start out, you know, you get we greeting. I remember I love greeting with your dad, Arling. I'll never forget the time he and I greeting because you got everyone comes at the end, so you're waiting a lot. And I remember having my coffee. I put my coffee down, and then Arling took it up and had a drink, and <laughs> I took a bigger drink and put it down, and he took a bigger drink, and that might have been his coffee actually in the end. I don't know. <laughs> Amy was on the worship team. You know, you start serving, counting the offering. I remember serving communion. Did a little bit of youth. I said I'd take all the boys, which was at that time was two of them. Um, men's retreats, you know, in the early days, Lauren, like this is what a men's retreat was. Like Lauren would say, um, uh, I know a good fishing spot in Saskatchewan. It's 11 hours each way. You know, we're going to drive. And uh, I'll never forget that because I brought a guy from work and we jumped in that car and we drove. And by the time you like listen, you know, someone reads out the Bible and uh, it, uh, you listen to like a chapter of a book on tape, and everyone tells their life story and everything they experiment with in college, confession, repent. You're only 90 minutes in to the trip. <laughs> like, what's gonna, what's gonna happen now? Um, I love that. We ended up taking on children's ministry. That was a fun adventure. Uh, we got put on the leadership team. I remember buying land, the first building, the miracles of God of getting that. First piece of land, like Lauren would really accurate, Pastor Lauren would accurately discern something in his spirit. I remember that first piece of land and going over and talking to that guy. And we're going to, we needed like, I remember going into the church on a Saturday morning. My job was to, maybe to figure out how that would actually work. And they would donate some of the money, remember? And it, but we had to actually, you know, $10 million had to move and get donated back like there was risk. And I remember emailing all the businessmen in the church and say, like this on a Saturday morning. I'm like, you know, dear friends. I know this sounds going to sound like a scam. It sounds like a scam to me, and I'm writing it. But I need $10 million for three days, you know. And somehow we got that. Like, that happened. And uh, this amazing stuff happened. And I uh, kept going. I ended up on the elder board. I ended up quitting my management consulting job uh, with Deloitte and came on staff here as Pastor Lawrence, um associate pastor. I learned to preach uh, here. Largely, He gave me one and four. So uh, if this does not go well today... This is why uh, this happened. And uh, the whole C3 adventure, you know, we kind of came on with that. Sophie, would you just grab me that water there? Thank you. What do you guys think of my personal assistant, Sophie? She did. She's going to make me buy her something after this because she did this. Like uh, C3, you know, global conference. Do you remember that? Where's Pastor Tim's on staff now? Where's Tim and Melissa, you know? No, they are doing online church, right? He's in the bunker. Yeah. Uh, you know, putting our family. See, we went to the C3 Global Conference in Hawaii. It was one of the best. Uh, we went to Hawaii with you guys, just as couples, but with mashing our families together at the C3 Global Conference and surfing together, and it's just one of the best uh, vacations. Anyway, and then getting sent to Toronto to plant C3 Toronto. Now, hold that thought. More on that later, okay? Let me just bring you up to speed. Like, right now, we've just moved back to Canada from the U.S., from Phoenix, Arizona. I just want to show you a picture of my lovely wife, because I wish she was here. There she is. That's actually L.A. You can drive to L.A. from Phoenix, so we would do that. Sometimes the kids wanted to surf, so we drove 
Uh, we drove there, and so Amy's getting more and more beautiful every day. My neck is getting thicker and thicker <laughs> every day. Uh, so we, had, so like we just left the U.S. in um, kind of a hurry. Uh, here's what happened: I had taken this job as pastor of spiritual formation, for, working for my friend at a, at a, at a bigger. Uh, American church in Phoenix, Arizona. And so we moved down there, built a house, um, left two university students in Ontario, took our two high schoolers down with us. Uh, And let me just say this now, like when you split your family up between two countries on either side of the continent, basically what you're hoping for is not a global pandemic. (laughs) So like poor Amy was losing her mind. You couldn't, like if someone got sick, we couldn't get back to the kid. When they shut down the universities and everybody like went home, like they couldn't go home. They just, but at least they were at the same university so that Abby and Elijah could like kind of look, watch each other. Uh, so we were like two and a half years in the U.S., which was really great, like except for the pandemic and divisive politics and the race riots and the civil unrest. There was a few things. Um, it was weird couple of years to be in the U.S. But we made some really great friends, and to be honest, the climate was fantastic. So, you know, it was kind of a good thing to do there. Anyway, what happened was, I was working at the church, and I have some pretty uh, strong ideas about church and discipleship, many of which were formed here. And uh, eventually, I was invited to uh, continue to hold to those views outside the organization. So, <laughs> which was complicating for us as a family. Because uh, that triggered like an immigration crisis, a financial crisis, a family crisis, a vocational crisis on top of the pandemic thing, right? Because getting taken off staff at that church canceled my work visa in the U.S. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't like work in the U.S. And that gave us like three days to get out of the country. And like we're going to have to pull our kids out of school. You know, maybe the one was going to um, lose a semester. We had to sell our home, uh, put our stuff in storage. We lived in four places in three weeks in November. And then I was massively trying to get a technology job using my the uh, engineering degrees side of my life, uh, trying to get a TN visa so we could stay, so our youngest could finish high school in the U.S. Now, luckily, Sophie here, who's with me, she had already graduated uh, American high school just at the end of the pandemic, I like to say, as one escaping from the fire. So she kind of got through. Uh, I give Sophie a lot of credit, though. Not an easy move for her from in your senior year of high school, leaving everything that's familiar that you like. Uh, boyfriend, everything. We're going to move to Phoenix, Arizona. U.S. high school, uh, really tough, being the new kid, being an immigrant. Uh, so proud of how you uh, navigated that. I think the, would have, you know, the hardest day would have been like 9-11 in America when that teacher, Sophie's in the class, and that teacher singles her out on 9-11 and says, uh, students from other countries, like our student from Canada, don't understand how that affected us here. And I was so proud of how Sophie stood up and said, ma'am, are you aware that 38 passenger jets were diverted from American airspace, landed in Canada and in Gander, Newfoundland, and 7,000 Americans were taken care of by Canadian families for weeks. And that's now a Broadway musical. (laughs) And when that teacher thought about it for a second and said, you're suspended, get out, I just thought... Good for you, Sophie, for getting a week off school. That's not how that went down, though. Is that what you wish you had said? Yeah, you talk to Sophie after you can find out what really happened in uh, that incident. Meanwhile, I'm desperately trying to find a job and to stay in the U.S., but it's a huge pandemic of recession. I'm an immigrant. Um, 
I don't have a green card, and so uh, we end up homeless, jobless, and getting deported at Christmas. You know, if Amy had come to me and said, you know, I've, I'm, I've experienced an immaculate conception, and there's no room at the inn, I would not have been <laughs> surprised. Like, you know, it would have... It would have just fit in with everything. So we had to go. We had to leave the U.S. quick. Like, we were on a timeline. Uh, and so our kids have bug-out bags for the whole, not joking, like, go right now. Like, you can jump in the, if we have to flee the country. And so we did end up leaving the U.S. in a bit of a hurry. Actually, uh, Amy and the girls were already illegals because U.S. immigration had ground to a halt. And there, no paperwork was processing. And, you know, 13,000 ICE officers had been furloughed. And so... I've got these illegal immigrants I'm hiding in my house. That's my family. So we send the girls ahead on a plane back to Canada, and then uh, we had the proceeds of our house. We sold our house in Phoenix, had the proceeds of our house, got the Toyota Sequoia. I put uh, Steve Miller Band, take the money and run on repeat. Come on, take the money and run. And let's just uh, get out of here. And so Amy and I drive north with the Sequoia with our 14-year-old blind deaf cockapoo dog in the back. And uh, just booked it to the Canadian border, crossed over Montana Mill, and I, hi, we're the Garretts, and we're coming home. And they're, like, less excited about that, sort of, than you are. And uh, I won't talk about the border, but they're like, okay, are you importing that vehicle? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Do you have the title and the ownership for that vehicle? Uh, no? Okay, come inside. You know, we actually couldn't. They're like, okay, you got to declare all your possessions. We get through this whole customs thing. You should go back into Montana, get this sorted out, get all that paperwork, and come back tomorrow. We're like, okay, drive around to the American side, except my wife's illegal. Hey, 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 she, hey, hey, hey. You know what's bad? When they step back and they unclip that thing on the service revolver, step out of the vehicle, come inside. You're like, oh. no, you got to go. The vehicle can't come into Canada, and the wife can't go into the U.S. I'm driving around in circles around the. I'm like. <laughs> Dear Jesus, like, how are we going to... Anyway, so when Pastor Lawrence said to me, um, hey, can you preach on wisdom? I'm like, uh, not really. <laughs> That's not, I don't think I'm doing that great. Anyway, it all worked out. Praise God, our family was reunited in Canmore together for the first time in over a year. Do we have a picture of that? Do you want to see the family? Yeah, with that, I don't know what the filter made it. The, it's the apocalypse in the background behind the mountains, but... Anyway, you know, Elijah and Abby and Sophie and Alia and then uh, Amy and I, and the kids are doing great. It was so great to have everybody together. And actually, the Lord provided an immigration solution so that our youngest daughter, Alia, could finish high school in the U.S. A solution that four immigration attorneys could not come up with. This is the miracle of the Lord. Here's what happened. This is funny. Amy was praying. Like, what are we going to do? Praying, and they felt the Lord spoke to her. Would, would you ever, like, would you ever want to go to school? Amy married me. Uh, instead of, she got accepted all your university picks and then didn't go, married me instead. The wisdom of that decision is still hotly debated. Um, <laughs> but she never, just the way things worked out, uh, she never got the chance to, to go to school. Um, and so the Lord said, would you ever like to go to school? And she sort of thought, yeah. So anyway, she finds on the immigration thing, here's the thing, I'm just going to tell you, citizens of Bermuda and Canada do not need an F1 student visa to study in the U.S., I don't know how this immigration didn't know us, so we wanted to try to, she got the paper, so we're driving, she had to get her marks from 25 years of high school, marks and applied, and so she got accepted into college, like in Phoenix, and uh, we were just seeing like they, on January 3rd, like with, you know, with, you're going to be able to cross back in with just that paperwork with like no student visas, so anyway, that cross back in, that gave our whole family status, 
uh, in the U.S. and can live there. And so just so fantastic. Amy's enrolled in U.S. college, and they're down there. Amy's officially, uh, I think, the oldest freshman there. Um, and she, I think she's rushing Phi Beta Kappa or something. I don't know really how it works, but it's, it seems like it's a lot of fun. Pray for her, though, because she's taking uh, college algebra right now. Like, in the back half of her 40s. I, of course, I studied engineering, so I'm like, babe, do you want to help with the math? She's like, no. <laughs> There's wisdom. I didn't, you know, I barely survived teaching my wife golf. Do not try and teach your wife algebra. <laughs> it's not going to land well. So, that's why we're talking about wisdom this morning. Right? Outrageously good message by Pastor Lauren. I think it wouldn't have been last week because uh, it's delayed a bit. So I'm actually... For those online, I'm, this has come from the future. I'm from the future, or it's going to be the past soon. Anyway, uh, outrageously good message, wisdom for life. That was the one that I saw. Um, got me thinking about wisdom. You know, this idea of uh, how to navigate life well, uh, and how much of that. Like, you know, when you think of people, think of people that you know. Um, who is, like, wise with their money? Who is unwise? Who do you know who is, like, wise, would you say, in their relationships? Uh, and who would you say is, like, unwise? Uh, who is wise with their health and their body? Who is unwise? Who is wise in their parenting? Who is unwise, right? So when I think about wisdom, I don't know what you think about. When I think about wisdom, I, I think about uh, the ability to make decisions, to take actions that, you know, result in positive outcomes. Let me, let me just say that again. When I think about wisdom, I think about the ability to make decisions or take actions that result in positive outcomes. However... There's a big trap here. Do you, do you see it? Do you see what the big trap is? It's this. You know, you can, start, you can get like this. Uh, if I just read the Bible and make all the right decisions, then my life will turn out perfectly. Like it's up to me to make all the right moves. I just got to read Proverbs enough times that I, you know, and some of that stuff, you're not sure how that's going to help. Like a gold ring in a pig snout is a beautiful woman without good sense. Huh, okay. Uh, I'm going to save that for later. Could save my life sometime. I don't know. Um, okay, so this is a big trap. You can sort of think, you know, I can just finesse life. Uh, who here has discovered that God's universe is contingent and that crazy things happen regardless of your decisions? Who thinks 2020 has been like a crazy year? that mostly did not have to do with decisions that you made or how wise your decisions were specifically. You've all experienced it this, right? might not have anything to do with you, but now we're in it. We're like deep in it. What are we going to do? Pastor Lauren titled uh, the message that I watched, Wisdom for Life. I would like to title this message, Wisdom for Life Gone Wrong, because I think that's part of it. So, I don't know how far we're into this next week, but you guys, so are you aware that there's a whole section of the Bible, like multiple books, it's called wisdom literature? Do you guys know this? It's like five books that they would call wisdom literature. Do you know what they are? Who can name one of them? Proverbs. That's good. Easy one. What's another one? Ecclesiastes. Everything is seasoned. Good. What else? Pastoral staff need not answer. What else? Can you name another one? It's tough. Two out of five. It's good. It's early. It's early service. Late service. Is the coffee bar open? Did people? Yeah, like uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, Psalms would be considered uh, part of that, right? Uh, Song of Solomon, you know, very poetic. And of course, Job. Part of the wisdom literature of the Bible, have you heard of Job? 
Now, I just want to apologize up front. I, you know, I'm going to speak a little bit uh, on Job. I might say job a few times because I'm out of a job and it's on my mind. Uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to read it that way. Okay. But let's draw some wisdom from Job this morning. We're going to do three things. We're going to consider the scriptures. That's the center. We're, I'm going to illustrate this and then we're going to have an application. Okay. Is that going to work for you guys? Okay. So here, let's start with the scriptures. I propose to you that the result of wisdom is not always positive outcomes. If you think about that. As biblical evidence for this, I submit to you the life of Job. This book of Job deals with this big problem that we have theologically in our faith and in life, and it's this. Here's the problem. Why do bad things happen to people who don't seem to deserve it? This is a big, like this is one of those big philosophical ones. It's like the center of a lot of stuff. The story goes like this. Job 1, 1 to 3. I think we might get this on your screen here. Here's how it goes. We're not going to go through all of Job here, but let me give you the gist of it. Here's like right at the very beginning. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, uh, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Mm, wise. Uh, he had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. And so, here we have Job, blameless. He has integrity. He's blessed. He's got this big family, and he's rich. Feels like he's maybe made some good decisions. Blessed is not necessarily about making good decisions, but probably done some good things here. So, what happens next? Many of you know the story. I bet you some of you don't. Job uh, 1, 6 to 12. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. By the way, this is one of the key, this passage here is one of the key verses of spiritual warfare. This is like the biblical foundation of what's going on, okay? Uh, one day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Think about that for a sec. Okay, then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's, he's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Can you imagine, Satan comes and talks to God about what's going on, and God says, uh, as Satan's patrolling the earth, and God says, yeah, but have you seen Lorne? What? Points Satan at this guy. Okay? Uh, Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. <gasps> Can you imagine? Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Isn't this a fantastic thing to have happen to you? Uh, and so what happens is, and you should read this, it's very poetic, it's a long book, it's beautiful. Um, uh, Job loses everything. House collapses. Uh, his kids are killed, uh, die. Everything goes wrong. Job 3, 25, 26. Uh, Job says, what I always feared has happened to me. What have you always feared? What if that, like, actually happened? What I dreaded has come true. What do you dread? I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest. Only trouble comes. So the whole middle of the book of Job is just trying to interpret why this happened to this guy. And uh, uh, it's done with, through, as a dialogue through three of his, with the, three of his friends. Um, pretty useless friends. Um, I don't know if you have any of those, but like no good friends. I was probably one of those to Lauren for at least a while there. But, um, 
But like, listen, this is one friend, Zophar, says in Job 11, 5 and 6, you know, they're trying to figure out why is this all, they're, you know, friends giving advice. Uh, uh, if only God would speak, his friend's saying to him, if only he would tell you what he thinks, if only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you, and far less than you deserve. Thank you, Zophar the Namathite. So helpful. Um, friends like that. But, but a little bit, I was reading this. Don't we kind of do that too, though? Sometimes someone's got a bad outcome. Something, something went bad, and we sort of think uh, it's probably, you know, their fault. Maybe they made a bad decision, or even worse, like, maybe they've been unwise. Maybe God's punishing them. Or maybe you felt that about yourself. This is all going wrong because God's punishing me. You know, we can get caught in that kind of thing. But we know from Job from what I just read you, that this is not the case. This whole opening, the heavenly courts, we know that there is something going on entirely different on this level that Job can't see. Did you know that there's something going on in your life, like up here? On an entirely different level? And if you try and derive causality with just what's going on there, you cannot get there from here. Have you considered this? If you're beating yourself up about something? So what's happening to Job is not a result of his choices. It's what's happening to him is not because of his unwind decisions. Uh, so this is a question. So what is true wisdom then? Uh, if not good choices that lead to good outcomes. Job gives us the answer in 12 verse 13. I love this verse 13a. But true wisdom and power are found in God. He goes on and then at the end in 28, 28. Uh, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. Mm. Think about that. So the end of the story is that um, Job repents uh, of complaining and gets everything back and more. Um, actually, not everything. You know, he has more kids, but he, uh, um, he doesn't get back his children who were killed. You know, and uh, we lost uh, Nathan Edlin this year. And uh, too young. Those two boys that... Of my youth ministry, short-lived was Chad and Nathan. You know, Lauren called me. We lost one. Why? You know, you can ask that why question a lot. How do we deal with this thing? Here's, here's, here's the thing. Job never finds out why. He, never, he actually never finds out what was happening. We might not find out. What, we won't know why. What happened to Nathan? We won't, you might not find out why. What happened to you? And we maybe need to stop agonizing over that. Let me illustrate it like this. We were five years into planning C3 Toronto when I got the call. And uh, our attendance was pushing 80 people. Things were going good. Moved into a bigger room at the Holiday uh, Inn, having Sunday mornings. And then uh, one of my key leaders, like my inner team, had a big moral failure. Uh, with his best friend's wife, also in the church, also the sister of another key leader. Bad. Like, you know, a wreckage. We got to everybody within 72 hours of counseling, and um, everybody's still married, you know, like they kind of, everyone, those marriages survived that. Like, you can survive that. Uh, the church, we couldn't survive that. We, uh, we went for about another year, and... Uh, just getting played out. Such a momentum killer. And so then I had to perform the Sullenberger Maneuver on the church. Do you know the Sullenberger Maneuver? Do you guys know who Sully was, the pilot? 
It's got 730, loses, you know, hits those birds. No engines. Got to put this thing down on the Hudson and get everybody off safe. That's what happened at the first C3 Toronto. Hit, like, hit, no engines. I said, I'm putting this thing down on the hut phone, Lauren. Now, you know, that's my first call, Pastor Lauren. Try and put this thing down on the Hudson. Let's get everyone off safe, you know. Uh, paid all the bills, got last $5,000, sent it back to the mothership here. But you're now far. You're, like, on the other side of the country, right? Uh, uh, and now I'm in this weird place. Lost my church, lost my vocation, lost my job, lost my source of income. Still love God, but I have this question. Why? Like, doesn't God want the church plants all to grow and thrive? Why is it, like, my thing is, like, why are you helping? Like, why aren't you making this work? And it can't be God's fault, so it must be my fault. Probably not a good enough leader. Must have done something wrong, you know. You could ask yourself, was that a wise decision to quit my job and plant a church? Not based on the outcome at that point. But you've got to be careful when you measure. Fortunately, Sam and Jess Pickin had visited us and fell in love with Toronto, got released by Lauren, uh, Pastor Lauren and Cal, to move to Toronto. And so Amy and I basically handed the whole thing over to them because uh, we were done anyway. And Sam and Jess have done, I think, just great in Toronto, all that's happened there. We actually attended for a while and tied there to help them get going. And I just want to say it's so fantastic when everything you've dreamed of, fought for, bled for, sacrificed for, moved your family across the country for, gave everything for, when God does all of it for your younger successor right after you. It's so great. (laughs) I was so excited for them to... (laughs) So happy for that. Um... Seriously, though, it is a character test, right? You know your character tests aren't scheduled for when things are going great. Scheduled for when things are going bad. You know what I had to do? The problem was we'd been going C3 Toronto long enough that all the internet searches were going to us, and so we had to, like, I had to start taking everything we'd ever done, like, off the internet so that the searches and things would go to Sam and Jess. You know, uh, it's like one thing to have all your ministry erased from history, it's another thing to have to erase yourself from history on the internet, you know? Uh, tough. So I get caught in this death spiral, long recovery time, like five years. That church was our baby, and that baby had died. We could barely be in church. I got stuck for a long time in this dead end. Maybe you have too. Ready? Here it is. This should not have happened. This ought not to have happened. That's deadly. You ever got stuck in that? Uh, you actually can't deal with something because it never should have happened in the first place, but it did happen. So now what? So here's how we got out. Lauren, Pastor Lauren, hooked us up with another older pastor couple in Toronto who had also lost their church. They'd actually lost their son as well in a canoeing accident, really had been through it wise. And uh, we spent the day together, talked for real. He asked me, what do you think Jesus' greatest ministry was? His teaching ministry, his healing ministry, his miracles? Uh, or his redemptive ministry, dying on the cross to open up the kingdom for all of humankind. I'm like, I think it's his priestly redemptive ministry. I think that's the biggest one. He's like, he's like, right, so how are you feeling right now? Betrayed? Yes. Uh, like your friends have all fled? Yes. Like you've been hung up there naked on a cross, humiliated? Yes. Like all is lost? Yes. Feels like a crucifixion? Yes. Uh, so he said to me, um, in the kingdom... 
That's not called a catastrophe. He said in the kingdom, that's called leadership training. I was, I was stunned. He's like, this is part of your development. Embrace it. You know? I was stunned, but I also started to get free. Okay, i got to get the application here quick. Here's the application. So let me ask you, how's it going with your life? Has, has something gone wrong? Yeah, probably. Uh, does, maybe some of you here just feel like everything's going wrong? Uh, did something not go as you had hoped? Um, has anyone here ever got stuck in, this ought not to have happened? Uh, the problem with that is it will keep you in that place. It will imprison you and keep you from what's next and stop us from seeing what the Lord might be using and how he might be using that to develop us and mature us, as painful as it is. You know, I just got to say, it's great to be back here in Alberta. It's nostalgic for Amy and I. Our kids were born and raised here, you know, like for, forever friends. We bought our first two homes here to be close to Lorne and Kelly, like walkable. Two houses, walkable. Oil was booming. Uh, you know, I'm back, it seems like things are pretty kind of uh, tough now. Eh? Keystone canceled, long-term outlook not good, tough on the church, staff taking cuts up and working with uh, Janelle Sadowski trying to come up with some things, you know. Felt, it feels like Nehemiah chapter 1 to me, you know, when Nehemiah's in Babylon at the citadel of Susa and, and he says, my brother Hanani, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, my brother Hanani came to me with news of the Jewish remnant. And, you know, it, it, it kinda, he says, how's it going over there? And uh, he says, in the, in the province of, the exiles in the province of Judah is not going well. Things are not going well. I feel like, you know, things are not going well for the exiles in the province of Alberta. It was like my home. You know, we come back, I feel like, what are we going to do? But I think the question is, what are we going to do now? Are we going to say, this ought not to have happened? And sort of stay there? Or are we going to like embrace it, adapt, pivot, become stronger, maybe even transform ourselves into something different, like use it? Right? Okay, I'm just going to go quick here. I love that scene from Behind Enemy Lines. Have you seen that movie? Owen Wilson gets shot down on a NATO mission, like Behind Enemy Lines. And uh, Gene Hackman, the admiral in the aircraft carrier, they, he's like, you know, come and get me. But they can't get, come and get him for various reasons. He's got he's to get, hump it out to this pot. And, but that, that little journey of him trying to get out kind of changes him, you know. And Gene Hackman has to motivate him. Do we have the clip? It's only one minute, 42 second clip. Can we run that clip? Let's try that. I feel like this is such a powerful scene. I feel like this is a prophetic word for us. I'm going to prophetically Gene Hackman us right now. Okay, here's the thing. We are sons and daughters of the king. We are people of faith. We are disciples of Christ. Something's gone wrong. Life is tough. I am very sorry, but let's bring our faith to bear on those problems. Use our training. Pray in the spirit. Tap into the Holy Spirit, and he will bring us home. Do you understand? He will bring us home. I'm going to invite the band to come up. As we're going to close, I'm going to close with this. The worship team, I'm going to close with this. Uh, when we lost the church plant uh, in Toronto and I was out of a job, man, uh, and we had no income for a number of months, uh, I had to put a suit on going to downtown Toronto, my bad pastor suit going to downtown Toronto. Uh, ended up on Bay Street. It's all banks. I came from upstream oil and gas. I didn't know anything about banks. I stood in the corner of Bay and King and said, it's banks, okay. I'm going to have to, I, I'm gonna have to become a technology guy for banks. You know, uh, I had to transform myself. Remember what Job told us, true wisdom and power are found in God. God was with me in that. He did not rescue me out of it. He stayed in that with me. 
God was with me and he helped me pretty soon. I had a thriving consulting practice on Bay Street. My theology and my understanding of narrative and story intersected with my two engineering degrees in a weird way that only God could do. They became extremely lucrative. I had doubted God's provision. I couldn't see it. I had to repent of that. What happened was like, eventually a large offshore bank heard about me, invited me to Barbados in February, and when the Caribbean calls in February, you go. <laughs> From Canada. And uh, I took Amy with me, of course, and they put us up for a couple weeks in the Hilton on the Platinum Coast, Barbados. And uh, I'm not paying for that. I'm actually getting paid very well to be there. And uh, one night I just stood out on the beach at the, at the Hilton and looked out at the ocean and started to feel blessed again. You know, but it didn't come right away. We've got to trust him and press into it and hump it out. And he will come for us. He will come for you. And we're so thankful. Brothers and sisters, can you trust me? Help is on the way. The rescue might not be right away, and there are good reasons for that. But this season of difficulty will develop us. And I bet in that season we will find true wisdom. Let's pray. Lord. Thank you for the journey. Thank you for this incredible church. C3 Calgary West, this 25-year journey. This Thank you for friends, pastors, like Lorna Kelly. Thank you that you walk with us, you bring us this way. It's not been easy. And all these seasons of difficulty, hardship, things we never would have wished for. It's transforming us. It's making us into something that ease and smooth sailing could not do. It's making us into disciples, making us into your children, the children of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Trevor. Can we thank him? Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.